Timberline Church. Hope you guys are having a great day. It is a uh, blessing and a privilege to be here with you this morning. I'm excited. We're going to be continuing this series that we've been talking about this summer. And uh, it's been awesome. I've really enjoyed this, this idea of God's nature. And the whole point of it has just been, hey, let's get outside, right? Let's enjoy a Colorado summer. Great weather we have, although it has been hot. And, uh, and we actually got rain yesterday, which seems like it never happens. It's always fake rain. It actually rained. I was so surprised. But uh, anyway, so it's been awesome. I love just those opportunities to get outside and just see God's goodness and his creation and what we can learn from that. And so that is really the invitation this morning is we're going to look at another aspect of God's nature and just see what it is. What can we learn about God and about ourselves and how we can grow in faith as we do that. So if you would just pray with me, I want to just ask God to be with us this morning. Lord God, we love you. We thank you so much that we get to be in your presence. What a blessing, what a joy to worship you. Every day, God, you deserve it. In every season, no matter how we feel, you deserve it. So God, as we open up your word tonight, I pray that we would just fall more in love with you and we would learn more about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, what I've loved about this series, God's nature and tracing his fingerprints, is just trying to be more aware of the goodness of God. And it's made me think of what are times in my life or experience that I've had. I love being outside. And when in God's nature, it's made me just be, have one of those like, like awe moments. You know what I mean? Like God is really big. And I can think of times of doing that hiking. You know, I got to hike at Long's Peak, the 14 over here in Estes that we see all the time. And it's, it's like when I was up there, I just remember looking out at just this vast creation and just thinking, I am really tiny and God is really big. You know what I mean? And then I can, I can think of, you know, whenever I'm in an airplane and whenever I take a moment to, to stop being uncomfortable in a little tiny seat, right, or my kid crawling on me and look out the window and you just see, here you are up in the clouds and you're just seeing, I mean, it's incredible. And you can look down and maybe it's the ocean below or it's, it's, the, it's the mountains below or whatever you're seeing. I, I feel like every time I'm in a plane, I just have a moment where I just think, wow, God is, God is awesome. This is amazing. And then one of my favorite places to go is the ocean. And so I don't know why I live in Colorado, but I do. I've lived here my whole life. So I'm not right by the ocean, but when I get to go, it is amazing and blows my mind every time. You stand on the shore and you just look out at the, the vast waters and you see the waves. And I mean, every time I just think of God's power and his beauty and his greatness. But I don't even consider always the whole ocean life that's below the surface, you know, in the water. Like, it is insane. And one of the, uh, a couple years ago, I got to go on a family vacation with my wife's family. And we were in Hawaii for a time and, and got to go snorkeling. And I don't know if you've ever been snorkeling before, but for me, and I realize this is probably just out of a place of jealousy and not, think, you know, wanting to be the one out there. But I always was on the shore watching people snorkel, thinking it doesn't look that great. You know, they're just like barely moving, just floating on the surface. Like you're not surfing, you're not going. And that's like, but I think it was just because I wasn't the one out there, you know, so just confession. But, but then I got to do it for the first time in Hawaii. And I remember putting on those goggles and you're just, you're seeing this amazing ocean. It's beautiful. But then you look below. And your mind is blown. I mean, it is crazy what God has created. The different fish, the, the, the coral reef, the, I mean, the different types and colors and things you see. And, and I'll never forget that first time I was snorkeling and just swimming around and I was with my brother-in-law. And he just, point, I see him and he points over. And I turn and I look and there's this big sea turtle like 10 feet away from me. And so we just got to swim right next to the sea turtle. And that whole time. I just, I really was. It was like this out-of-body experience, like how is this real? Like this is amazing, and, and this is just such a tiny, tiny part of God's creation and just the beauty of it. And so there, there's probably so many moments. We could talk for hours 
of times when you've experienced this amazing God and his creation. And things like mountains and oceans and the skies and, and, and the heavens, it's easy to say how great is God when we look at that. But today's topic is maybe one that's a little bit more difficult to just say that. I don't know how many times you've ever driven out into the middle of a blazing hot desert and just sat there and been so grateful for what God, who God is and what he's done, you know. I don't know how many times, but when I, when I think of desert, my mind more goes towards crazy hot. It goes towards, um, you know, no water and being thirsty. It goes towards maybe being lost and lonely and suffering, and, and it's a place of testing. And we actually see this a lot in Scripture, deserts or wilderness, and a season in time, maybe it's a real desert or a real wilderness, or a season like that where God uses in ways to help us grow. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is how do we grow and what do we learn from God in a desert? And so you might be thinking, what does that really mean? What does that have to do with me? Like in a desert season, I think in our walk with God, that could, be, could look different. Some of you that might really relate to you as I say that this morning. But it might just be this thing of it's feeling like it's really hot, right? Things are hard. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a time and, and I feel maybe distant from God. I feel like I don't know where God is in this time. Maybe it's something of, of testing that you're going through. And you're really just feeling that. And I think with deserts so often too is it maybe can feel like it's a season of life that's not coming to an end. Right? Maybe you're just thinking, I've been struggling in this area. Or I'm looking at all these other people and it seems like life is easy and working and flourishing. And if I only I was, had that situation or whatever, I would be good. And, and we can get stuck. And the desert, certainly if you ever tried to drive through it or been around it, like it feels endless. I can remember a couple years ago, I went to the Great Sand Dunes National Park here in Colorado, and, which is such a cool place, but it is, it's, it's just weird. You're in the middle of this mountain range and then just a huge sandbox, you know? Like, I don't know how that happened, but it's, it's, it's so huge and there's so much sand, it turns into these basically like cliffs and mountains. And so I'm a competitive person, so when I got there, I thought, I'm going to climb to the top. Like, I want to get to the very top of it, and then I'm going to jump off the top because it's sand. You can just do whatever you want. You just jump off and catch, you're fine. And, and what I didn't think about is the fact that climbing in sand is a lot harder than climbing on a rock. You know, you take, you're at the sand dunes, you take a normal hiking step, and you just sink right into that sand, basically come back to where you started. You know what I mean? And it's like, so it feels like it is a long and hard hike to get to the end. And I think sometimes that desert season can feel that way, where it can feel, ah, I feel stuck. I don't know where I'm going to go. And, we, and it's easy to start to wonder, hey, in the hardship and the trial, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? How could you be in this? Yeah, I keep praying for, for relief, but it doesn't seem to come, so where could you be? And so if that's you this, this weekend or maybe something that's going to be soon, I think we have those ups and downs, those mountaintop moments, but also the moments of the, that feel like valleys or deserts. And so I want to talk this morning about what, where is God in the desert and what can we learn from the desert? And, and, and this is something that I think is so interesting, is that Jesus himself began his public ministry in a desert, in a wilderness. Let's read this from Matthew 4, 1 through 2. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. There by the devil, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. All right, so if you know, if you've heard this story, Jesus before, right at the beginning of his public ministry where he would go and do miracles, and he came to be the Savior of the world. I mean, he had a huge job to do. But it began with him going into this desert, this wilderness, to be tested by the enemy. And what I want to point out is a really big thing. We can't miss this. This was not an ambush by the enemy. Right? He, didn't, he didn't just catch Jesus in a bad moment where he got lost walking and accidentally got to a desert. 
And he came down and tested him. No, what's important to point out here is it says the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. That, does that make, that makes no sense. Like the spirit of God, like God was the one leading him. It wasn't an ambush. The enemy didn't take him over and surprise him, but actually the spirit led him here. So why? What is that about? Why would he be led into the desert beginning his public ministry? And I think this is so powerful because so often, if you're anything like me, when I'm in challenging seasons in a place that feels like a desert, if I'm being honest, I think my natural thought and my wonder is, God, where are you? Surely you're not in this because this is not a good season. This is hard. But actually we see this, that, that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the desert for testing. That Jesus himself had to, go, this, had to go through a crucible of testing and through the fire of the wilderness for 40 days to prepare him for all that God had for him. And so I think that that should be an encouragement for us. Is it's so easy to just be caught up in, God, where are you? God, where are you? But what if this morning we asked a different question and we said, God... I don't know exactly why I'm dealing with this season of testing. I don't know exactly why I'm walking through this hard season in my life. I don't know why it feels like you're distant, but I'm just going to believe that, God, you're you're here with me, that your word is true, that you're faithful, and that you're good, and so maybe you have something for me in this season. Are you guys with me? I just want to encourage us just to think, just to think in that context of, God, is God actually wanting to do something? Because he, Jesus, was being prepared for all that was to come. Maybe what you're going through today is God is building faith. God is strengthening you for what's ahead. God is strengthening you to continue to follow him because he's more concerned with our character and our faith than he is about our personal comfort. He cares more about that than he does about our personal comfort. But what I love about him is that Jesus is personal and he's been through the troubles and he cares about us. In Hebrews 2, it says this about Jesus. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. That's good news, isn't it? I mean, that is good news. You may have just needed that to come this morning to be encouraged in this desert season that you're in to say that God is not far away, but actually he's saying, I can, I can be with you in your weakness because I was fully man. I know what it feels like and I care about you and I'm here to help you. And then a little bit further on in Hebrews 4, this high priest, speaking of Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He knows what our struggles are. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And I love this so much. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we, do, when we need it most. How powerful is that? Because I think what unfortunately sometimes what happens to us in the seasons of hardship and in desert type seasons is maybe we feel ashamed. Maybe we brought it upon ourselves. Maybe it happened completely out of our control. But for whatever it is, we feel that we're in a season where we're in a valley or we don't feel like we're close to God in this sense. And, and easily we can start to put that upon ourselves and, and be worried. But, but what God is saying is, hey, don't, don't be ashamed. I want you just to come to me in your weaknesses. You don't have to have it all together to come before me. I care about you, where you are, and how you feel, and I want to meet you right there. And then he says the invitation. He says, come before me boldly because I want to give you mercy and grace. And I love how it ends. It says, to help you when you need it most. All right? Amen to that. Right? That we have a God who wants to step in into the places of need. That he doesn't run away. 
He doesn't, he's not offended. He's not upset at you. He's saying, no, I want to help you when you need it most. And sometimes it actually is the seasons of testing, the dry seasons, the desert seasons, when God is doing so much more than we could ever know. I know for me and probably for you, when you look back at your testimony of following Jesus, whether it's been a long season or a short time, I think so often it's, it's the hardships and it's the struggle and it's the having faith in the midst of trials where I grow and where I can see God at work in powerful ways because he's more concerned with building our faith. And so I think the desert season, the wilderness in scripture is a place of testing, but it's also an incredible place of building into being something stronger than we could ever be. And I think that even, even just nature itself has it's a really awesome application of this. And recently I was watching this TV show and I, I came across this, I saw this and it, and it just stuck out to me a lot. But it's this place called the Tree of Life. And it's in the country of Bahrain in the Arabian Desert. So I got a picture of it for you guys to see this here, okay? And so just to, put, to paint a picture in your eyes as you look at this, this is the middle of a desert. And this tree of life, I mean, this thing's been around, they said, for over 400 years, flourishing, big old trees, green, you know, leaves in the middle of a desert where it's crazy hot. There's not like an obvious source of water close by. There's not other vegetation close by. And so, so much so where actually in this part of the country, it's become a tourist attraction. Over 50,000 people come and check out this tree every single year. It's such a mystery. How is this tree surviving? And, and, and I don't know about you, but like when I think of vacation, I'm not typically thinking about flying to a, a desert and looking at a tree. But that's just, you know, there's people like that. And this is really crazy. I thought this might happen, but after the last service, I had a guy wait for me out in the, in the lobby and he said, hey, I've been to the Tree of Life. I've been there. And he said it can get up to 140 degrees there. 140. He told me people last for about 20 hours out there if you were stuck out in the desert. So it's more of the things you get out, you look at the tree, you probably take a picture, post it on Instagram, what's up? And then you're out, you know? Like that's, that's vacation. But I mean, that's how we roll a lot of times on vacation. And so, but this is why I talk about this tree, is it is incredible, this mystery that how is this tree flourishing and surviving for so long, right? It's because in the difficult conditions above ground, right? The heat, the bad climate, there's not an easy water source. It's above ground, it seems really difficult. But what the tree has to do is its roots have to go deep in order to survive, right? And if you, if you actually study it more, there's water available underground that this tree can tap into. This tree can tap into it. The other guy, he also said also because the visitors come and just dump water at the tree and help it out. So there you go. You know, I don't know how much that needs, but if you ever go there, make sure you bring a bucket with you so we can keep talking about this tree. All right. And so this tree, it's, but it's, it's out there and it's surviving in the harsh conditions. It forces the roots to go deeper, right? It forces the roots to go down. And so I think that helps us to answer this question of where is God in the desert? What is God doing in the desert, right? Because in our journey, in our life, when, when things don't look good around us, I think maybe you could picture yourself at times like that tree. And it's like, hey, I am in the middle of this desert, but we can still be people that are bearing fruit, that are trusting God, that are following after him. And the reason it is is because our roots grow down into him. It's not about our circumstance and what's around us. It's that my roots go into him. And so that's my big encouragement this morning is that we would be people. My prayer and my hope for this church and for each one of us is that we would be people that we could say in the hard seasons, I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to doubt him or wonder where he is. But instead, I'm going to keep pursuing him. And I'm going to let my roots go down deep into him. And then in that season, we see the value of the desert. And David, David was a man, he wrote most of the Psalms, almost half of them. 
And Psalm 63 is a powerful psalm. And it's powerful for us today because guess where he wrote it? He was in a desert. The desert of Judah. And he said this in verses 1 through 3. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And he's not joking. He's actually there. Not just as a, a sea, he's really in the desert. And he says, I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Oh, how I praise you. This is just amazing. This heart. And I think if we, if we could be people that get this heart like David, this is the heart that says, in every season, all of my life, it doesn't matter if things are going well for me, if things are going medium for me, if things are going in a valley, in a desert, I'm the same because God's the same. My circumstance around me doesn't change who God is, right? My God is the same, and so he's worthy of my praise. I can trust him in every season. And we see this in David. He's saying, I'm in a desert, truly in a desert, but my roots are going down deep. My biggest desire isn't even just water. My biggest desire is that I would know God. I want to have a heart like that. I want to have a heart like that that just says, when it's hard, that's when I'm clinging to him even more. When it's hard, that's when I'm going to go after him even more. But unfortunately, I think so often what we do is when we get into troubling situations is we just try to work our way out of it on our own. And we think, okay, I can just, I can do this better. I can work harder at this. And unfortunately, sometimes it's our relationship with God that's one of the first things to go. We're struggling, so now we don't have time to be with God. We're struggling, so I don't have time to be in community and, and to come to service and to worship God. Like, it's, it's easy for those to be the first things to come. But instead, we need to be people that say, in the desert, I'm going to cling. And I need my roots to go down deep so that I can be like that tree. And even other people might look at me and say, this makes no sense how you have joy. This makes no sense how you're being generous and unselfish. This makes no sense how you're praising God. Because your season doesn't look like you should be, but yet you're still bearing fruit. It's like, you know, in a, if you've been in a desert or driven through one, you know, there's a thing called a mirage. And it just seems like a really mean trick, I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like this, you look out in the distance and it's like this oasis you think you're seeing. But if you were stuck in a desert, even if you started sprinting at that mirage, you're never going to get there, Right? Like you never, you could be running as hard as you possibly can. You could be the fastest person on earth. You're not going to get to that mirage. And I think sometimes that's just the way that we journey in life. We just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this in my own strength, and I'm going to do it, and we're never going to get out of there. What the invitation is, is God is saying, hey, I want you to slow down and quit striving, and I want you to go down deep. I want your roots to connect to me, and that's what I want to do in the middle of this desert. And David in verse 7, Psalm 63 in the desert, he says, Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. That's an amazing, amazing statement. And the Psalms are just full of them. I love David's heart. His songs of worship, his prayers. But he's saying here, in the middle of my struggle, you're my helper, and I cling to you. Like, I'm going to put my focus on you. I'm going to remember you. And I think this is an important point for us in the desert, that we would remember my need for God and not my need to complain, all right? Because that is such an easy human tendency, is when things aren't going the way that we think they should be going, is for us to compare and to complain. And to think, God, why is this happening? I don't deserve this. I'm doing all this for you, but I still feel this way. You know, it's, it's easy for us to get to this place of, of complaining, but instead, like God wants us to say, no, I, in the hardship, may I realize my need for him and not that need to complain. I don't need to try to put it onto some other people or on other things, but I just need to cling to you. And I see that in David's heart. 
I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to live under the shadow of your wings. And maybe that's what some of us need to refocus on today. It's been too, too busy complaining, too busy blaming other things, and, and it's time for me just to say, no, I'm going to come quietly before God. I'm going to allow this season to drive me to my knees. Because God is more concerned with our faith. He's more concerned with our character. He's more concerned with the person that you're becoming than he is with your personal comfort. That God sees eternity. We look at today, but God is looking at eternity and who he wants us to be. And the mission and what he's called you to. And maybe it's this season like Jesus that he's equipping you and he's preparing you for what's ahead. And you actually needed this season. You actually needed this season. And the Israelites themselves are a great example of this. Because the Israelites, they had a very up and down journey. If you read the Old Testament, they have great moments of faith and amazing miracles. And then the next moment, they're forgetting God and serving idols. And then the prophet comes and they go back and have an amazing moment. And then they forget and they start serving idols. And one of the lowest points in Israel's history is when they have to wander in a desert for 40 years. And what happened was, this is we'll read in Exodus 16, but they were promised to go to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And as they got there, they had been rescued out of Egypt, and they were about to enter in the land. And, and Moses and Aaron, they sent out 12 spies. And these 12 spies went to the promised land, and, and they were supposed to give report to the people. Ten out of the 12 guys came back and said, this land, there's no way we can go in. The people are too big. The armies are too great. The walls are too good. Like, we can't go in. And two guys, Joshua and Caleb, and we'll talk about them more later, they said, yeah, we can do it. Let's believe in God's faithfulness. But unfortunately, most of the people went with the ten. And they started complaining, and they disobeyed God. And so they got stuck in the wilderness for 40 years while that whole generation didn't get a chance to go into the promised land. And so this is where we're going to pick it up, Exodus 16, verse 1. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They want to go back to slavery. They moaned. They were, they, they, we sat around pots filled with meat and they ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us to death. All right, so this is a bad, bad day, right? Bad day. You just got told you're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years and now you're hungry. And you're complaining and you're asking. But even in this low moment, we see God's provision. And I think this is such an amazing encouragement that God sees us, God hears us, and God cares about us. Because see what happens next. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. All right? So this is amazing. I mean, an um, incredible miracle, right? We have the feeding of the 5,000. That happens one time, right? I mean, that's awesome. This was every single day for 40 years. God's providing food for the entire group of people. And yeah, they wake up and it's it's manna and it's quail every single day. But that's, I mean, it's an amazing, amazing sign of God's faithfulness and goodness, that his mercies are new every single day. Manna was there, quail was there. On the sixth day, twice as much was there so they could rest on the seventh day and still have food. God took care of their needs in the midst of the desert. But that didn't mean their circumstance didn't change, right? And I just could bet that for a a little bit of time, watching that miracle every day was awesome. But I can imagine day, you know, year 35, day 223, and you're like, Hey, what's up, man? What are you going to do today? Uh, I don't know. It's hot. 
What are you going to do today? I don't know. Eat manna? Eat quail later? What about tomorrow? Manna? Quail? You know, it's like that was still been a tough season. Difficult season. Like we can't get some pizza or some tacos or some Gatorade in this place. I mean, this is like, this is still a challenge. But we see God's amazing provision in the midst of the desert that he was with them. But there was also stuff that he was teaching them along the way. And, and when they come to the end of this road, the book of Deuteronomy is one that was written by Moses. And it's written as they're on the verge of entering the promised land. Moses himself did not get to go in. He was a part of the people that, that did not get to experience the promised land. But he wrote this book as they were on the verge of entering the promised land. And in, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 2, he talks about what they learned in the season. All right, I mean, 40 years is a long time to learn a lesson. But we can see exactly, he lays out from what they learned. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. There's the first thing. And to find out whether or not you'd obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord disciplines you for your own good. I mean, how powerful is that? That this season, again, we see this all through the scripture. The desert season is a trial, but it's also a place of learning, a place of growth, and a place of building your faith. And the, the, group, the, the Israelites and the generation that would go into the promised land, they learn these lessons of to be humble, to trust in God, to say we don't rely on our own strength, but we rely on God. It's not about the bread that we have, but it's upon every word that comes from him. They learned to obey his commands. They learned that God disciplines those he loved. They had to learn that one the hard way. And then Moses changes his tune a little bit in Deuteronomy 8, and he talks about, hey, now you're about to go to the promised land. Now you're coming into the place of prosperity, and when it's great. And just like the Israelites, I think it's easy for us to have a tendency to maybe rely on God in the hardship. It's actually sometimes easier when you know you need God to pray. Then when you feel great and you're on the mountaintop and everything seems right, Sometimes it's easy to start taking credit for ourselves, and we forget God. And so he, he reminds the people in verse 10, he says, When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So once you're in there, don't forget. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. And so here's a big warning, I think, for all of us. Whatever season of life you're in is be careful. Being careful to say, I want to live my life as a humble servant of the king, no matter the highs and the lows. That I'm going to trust God. I'm going to realize my need for God. I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to spend time God, spend time with God and seek God and let my roots go down into him, whether it's a good season or it's a bad season, it's a mountaintop or it's a desert. You guys with me? And to say that either way, I want to be careful to say that this is not about me. This is about your kingdom and your glory. As we wrap up, I want to go back to these two young men, Joshua and Caleb. We said that they were the two guys that went into the promised land, and they actually believed that God would be able to give them the land. But they got outvoted by the other ten. And you can imagine how rough that 40-year period would have been for those two guys. It's like, man, if y'all would have just listened to me, we'd be in this land right now. But now I'm in the desert eating manna and this every single day, right? And just, just thinking of how that feels. You know, it's like I have kids, and so I, I know what it's like when, when one of my kids makes a mess, and as a parent, sometimes you make them both clean it, and it's like, that, well, that ain't good, you know? It's like, you did this to me. My kids are not like that, right? 
And this is how Joshua and Caleb for these 40 years was like, I'm only here because you guys didn't listen. And we're, they were the only two people that got to go in. But what I love about that is the testimony of those two men is they believed God at the beginning. And through the 40 years, even through the suffering in the desert, they still believed God. And in Numbers 14, 24, I want to make sure we get this one. It says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. I just love that one. If you need to take a picture on your phone or whatever that reference, like look at that later today. Numbers 14, 24. It says, my servant Caleb, he has a different spirit and he follows me wholeheartedly. That's my hope and our prayer for everybody in this room as a church, as a body of believers. If you're in a high season or a low season, if you feel like you've been in a desert for a long time, that we would be able to be like Caleb and Joshua and say, they have a different spirit. They look like that tree, the tree of life, where it doesn't make sense because all, all the things around them look like it's not good and it's difficult conditions, but yet they're still bearing fruit because they're trusting God. They have a different spirit and they follow him wholeheartedly. I wanna be like that. I wanna have that type of a heart. I want that to be what's said about me. Not that I was successful or all these things, but to say no, at the end of the day that God would say this, that, that he has, fill in your name, a different spirit, that she has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. That we can just say in every season, all of my life, God is faithful, God is good, he is worthy of my praise. And as we wrap with that, I just want us to think about this too. Something we love to finish with is just, just thinking and, and thanking God for the offering and the way that we can bless people in our community by giving talk about our money. I mean, that's one of, I think, a great way where we're constantly and consistently stretched beyond what makes sense, right? And in a season when, when things are raising in prices and all this, it's, it seems like it's pinching and coming down. It's saying, hey, this is still such an opportunity to say, God, I trust you with what I have. I trust you with my first and with my best. And so I just want to pray for, for all of us as a community that we would be able to give our best to God, that we'd be able to say, I want to follow you wholeheartedly with every aspect of my life in every season because you're good. And so would you stand with me? I want to pray over us. And then the band, they're going to lead us in a song. And it just says that. All of my life, in every season, you are still God. And we can declare that no matter how we feel today. So Jesus, we trust you and we thank you. God, we thank you for all that you've given to us and the blessings you've poured out upon us. God, we do just pray over um, just all the different, the giving and the ways that we give in this church. God, that you would just use that to impact our city in a powerful way. Lord, I pray that you would be the one to walk with us. Give us faith. Help us to, to follow you in all things. And that we would have this testimony like Caleb that we followed you wholeheartedly. That we, we, our roots went down deep into you and we bore, bore fruit in every season. In Jesus' name.